Welcome to Friends in Fiction, five best-selling authors, endless stories. Friends in Fiction is a podcast with five best-selling novelists whose common love of reading, writing, and independent bookstores bound them together with chats, author interviews, and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing. These friends discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Best-selling novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, Patty Callahan Henry, and Mary Alice Monroe are five longtime friends with more than 80 published books to their credit. At the start of the pandemic, they got together for a virtual happy hour to talk about their books, their favorite bookstores, writing, reading, and publishing in this new uncharted territory. They're still talking, and they've added fascinating discussions with other best-selling novelists. So join them live on their Friends and Fiction Facebook group page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, or listen and view later at your leisure. Welcome to Friends in Fiction. We are five best-selling novelists and friends. Our common love of reading, writing, and independent bookstore binds us together. I'm Mary Alice Monroe, and my latest novel is On Ocean Boulevard. And I'm Mary Kay Andrews. My latest novel is Hello, Summer. I'm Kristen Harmel. My latest novel is the upcoming The Book of Lost Names, which will be out in just a couple weeks. I'm Christy Woodson-Harvey, and my latest novel is Feels Like Falling. And I'm Patty Callahan-Henry, and my latest novel was Becoming Mrs. Lewis. And we are all delighted tonight to welcome a favorite author of all of us and most of the world, Delia Owens. Well, Delia. Yeah, welcome. Yay! Delia. (laughs) Delia is the author of the blockbuster Where the Crawdads Sing. This novel has taken the literary and publishing world by storm. It has broken all records and continues to stun the book world with its unceasing popularity. 96 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, half of those 12 months and more as number one, and a bestseller on four continents. At the end of the year roundup for 2019, Where the Crawdads Sing had sold more print copies than any other adult fiction title that year, fiction and nonfiction. I'm thinking by half, and it's still going strong. Fun fact, Merriam-Webster added crawdad to the list of the top 10 words of 2019. I think that's hysterical. Y'all should know. know, Y'all should know this just doesn't happen every day. Even saying all these words, I have to blink in disbelief. But no author writes in a vacuum. And Delia is a shining example of how one can use one's education, one's work, one's personal experiences, and bring them all to the page. Delia, or I should say Dr. Owens, received her BA in zoology from the University of Georgia and her PhD in animal behavior from the University of California. She married a fellow grad student, Mark Owens, and together they sold everything they had and headed to Botswana, Africa, where they were the only two people except for a few bands of roving Bushmen. In an area the size of Ireland, their book, Cry of the Kalahari, is a vivid account of their experiences there. 
They continued in their wildlife research in Zambia, where their work focused on elephants. The eye of the elephant details their work and their experiences to reclaim the wilderness from brutal commercial poachers. In all, Delia conducted research on endangered species in Africa for 23 years. And in addition to her nonfiction books, she published her research in scientific journals. So with experiences like that to draw upon, is it any wonder her novel has unparalleled resilience in publishing? So Delia, welcome to this strong female pack. <laughs> Thank you. This is a great, you make a great troop. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, we began Friends in Fiction in April when we were all seeking connection and sheltering in place. And since then, we've been asking our guests, how have you been dealing with the last several months? So we'd like to know, Delia, how have you been dealing with sheltering in place these last few months? Actually, I've been staying up in the mountains of North Carolina, which is a great place to isolate. But I have spent much of my life in isolation. When we were in the Kalahari, as you said, we were the only two people in an area the size of Ireland. And I spent much of the time in the Luangwa all by myself in my own camp. So I've spent a life of isolation. So I'm used to it in a way, but I've also learned how it can adversely affect you. Mm. We are we have the genetic propensity to belong to a troop, especially women, um, because most mammals live in female groups. And um, so it, when you are isolated, it changes you and you're affected. That's the reason we do need to reach out programs like this you should you shouldn't just isolate you should always stay in contact with your friends and do what you can to be part of a group as much as that's, you can that's really good advice i think that we felt reassured by seeing each other and i think the response to friends in fiction which is going out every week sort of imitates what you just said that we are echoes what you just said that we are reaching people and bringing them together don't you all think so oh, yeah absolutely so, Mary Kay, how have you been this last week? Busy. Writing, 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 writing. Today I killed someone. <laughs> you love to do that. Fictionally. <laughs> so um, I only, my body count is only at one, which is, you know, <clears throat> pretty pathetic. Not bad. Yeah, I mean, my, I'm writing. My husband has a big backyard garden. And so, you know, we're picking the squash and the cucumbers and zooks and figuring out what to do with them, how to cook them and green beans. And so our life has, our life has shrunk considerably and, and maybe not in a bad way, but I, I do miss, I do miss being out in public. I really want to go to a restaurant and have someone wait on me. I know. <laughs> how about you, Christy? How have you been? Well, all I can say is that I have been thinking about, you know, all of the memes that have been all over Facebook and Instagram about people being stuck in the house with their husbands for that long. They need to call Delia because <laughs> she really has everyone beat. I mean, forget the quarantine. Um, no, I've been doing really well. I've been um, working a ton and, um, you know, I don't know if everybody knows, but y'all know that I have an interior design blog called Design Chic, and Mom and I have been like redoing a lot of it this these past few weeks, and we're sort of um, doing new features, and so that's been really fun. There's, it's you know, it's been a good time to get things done, and we've just been trying to keep little Will entertained and be outside a lot, and have no complaints. 
I know the little kids are a real challenge. Kristen, how are you handling that? You have a little four-year-old, right? Yeah, my, my son Noah is four. And, uh, you know, he's going a little stir-crazy. And it doesn't help that it's so hot right now in Florida. I mean, it's hot everywhere. But it's, you know, it, it feels like temperature is well over 100 every day, which is, you know, not very comfortable to play outside in. But we've been finding socially distanced things to do. Like there was a rocket launch yesterday from Kennedy Space Center, which is about an oh, hour away. Nice. From so we drove out to the coast. We just sat in the car so we didn't get out and expose ourselves to any expose ourselves. That sounds horrible. I never expose myself to people. <laughs> not that way. <laughs> no, let's not do that. <laughs> dead bodies, Kristen's exposing her. We're, I'm sorry, Delia. I apologize. <laughs> we all know what you were saying. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but in in a very innocent way, we did not expose ourselves. We stayed in the car. <laughs> we watched the rocket go off. And today we did a fun little science experiment with vinegar and baking soda to shoot off our own rocket in the front yard. Oh, so we've been so trying to keep great. it fun. Yeah. I'm so proud of you for making them taking that moment to teach science. Good yes, you. Awesome. it's important, right? Patty, awesome. how about you? I'm good. I feel like the beginning of all of this was so hard to focus. Um, And Delia, you you said you're accustomed, more accustomed to to being quarantined or isolated. I just absolutely wasn't. And so the beginning was really hard. And sadly or wonderfully, I don't know. Now I feel like I'm accustomed and now I'm almost hyper-focused, you know, and part of that's our morning writing. But I feel like you said, Mary Kay, that things are getting small, like it's kind of pulling in and I'm more focused and with the family and working and just the sheer not unpacking and repacking, right? Yes. The oh, the book has, tour. Yeah. Yes. So I think we're all feeling that at first we were all mm-hmm. panicked about not having book tour and now we're all sort of adjusting to, my gosh, it's the first summer home in a long time. Yeah. I'm just doing it. I'm not to have a book tour. <laughs> You're supposed to be in Europe now, aren't you? I was. I'd be home by now, but yes, I missed my European tour. But frankly, I was so exhausted that I was, I, I hope to do some of it later. And I do hate to miss it, but I was tired. Yeah. So I, was tired. I actually was supposed to be in Europe right now. I was supposed to be in Oxford next week, getting ready Ooh. to go. And I cried when they canceled it. And now I'm thinking, I can't imagine if I'm <laughs> leaving in. Yeah. So I think we're all shifting. I also think because we thought it was going to get better and now it's getting worse. Yeah. Mm. We realized we're we never thought it was going to get better. <laughs> really? No. The only reason it was getting better was because we were isolating. As soon as we came out of isolation, it was going to get worse again unless we yeah. took very we were very, very careful. And, and it did. Yeah. We yeah. can't open up until we're going to be very, very careful. So it looks like we'll all be um, checking in with each other next week about how we're continuing our isolation. <laughs> so as you all know, Friends in Fiction is a passionate support of independent booksellers. And each week, we highlight one independent. And tonight, Delia chose Malaprop's books in Asheville, North Carolina. And Malaprop's is graciously giving all of you 10% off the price of Delia Owens' books, as well as the recent titles from all of us. So use the code FRIENDS to get your 10% discount. And the link to the bookstore is posted on our Friends and Fiction page. So we're going to start tonight with some questions for our guest. And I'd like to go first. So Delia, 
The world knows you are the author of Where the Crawdancing, but perhaps not everyone knows all your nonfiction books. I've read them and I'm swept up by your signature lyrical writing and the beautiful detailed description. And this is unusual, but I'd like to give our listeners just a really quick peek at the opening of your narrative of Secrets of, of the Savannah Gift. Between the trees of the forest, amid the thorny undergrowth, under tangles of twisted twigs, is a space that is more color than place. It is a grayness painted by drooping limbs and distant branches that blur together and fade into nothingness. It is not a shadow, but a pause in the landscape, rarely noticed because our eyes touch the trees, not the emptiness on either side of them. And elephants are the color of this space. I loved that. Absolutely loved that. And in this book, which is the Savannah, Secrets of Savannah, you introduce Gift, a baby elephant, an orphan, discovered by your camp. You describe how female elephants in the matriarchal group are there for life, but they do not accept or adopt strangers. So this young orphan was alone. She had no family. No one to touch, or as you put, to tangle trunks with. So little gift kept her distance. She watched the females and family dynamics from afar. And you describe, without slipping into anthropomorphism, how the orphan lived on the edge of her society, never fed or nurtured by humans. I couldn't help but think of the parallel to Kaya in Where the Crawdads Sing, the marsh girl who lived and cared for herself on the fringe, never being a part of her society a girl who longed for friends. Now, since animal behavior is fundamental to your books, can you talk a bit about how you drew on all your experiences to create this really memorable character of Kaya? Mary Alice, you're exactly right. That's where Kaya came from. I observed mammals in the wild for all those years. And one of the facts that had the most impact on me that fascinated me the most is in social mammals, the groups are made up only of females. When tourists see a pride of lions on the Serengeti Plains, they see females and cubs and some males. So everybody thinks it's a happy family, but the males don't live with the pride. The males come and go. The female groups stay together for all of their lives, but the males compete with the for the opportunity to be with the females and they come and go and mm-hmm. so for mating they spend the rent they spell all of their lives going from one pride to the next and of course this is my friends back home said to me you had to go all the way to africa to learn that males go from one group to the next for mating <laughs> <laughs> but the Why that females like to hang out with one another <laughs> It, it, it affected me so strongly to watch these females. I would watch the female lions um, on the dune tops every evening, lying together with their paws over each other's faces and playing with each other's cubs. And I realized after year after year after year of watching the elephants with the female groups and the baboons that I was isolated from my troop. I was alone and I didn't have a group. And that's where the idea for my novel came from. I wanted to write a book that, a novel that would explore how much we are affected 
when we are isolated, when we are forced to grow up without a group. And that's where crawdads came from. Mm -hmm. And so Kaya was uh, from gift in particular or just from overall? Was there any overall? I think from Mm -hmm. overall uh, gift was truly a gift. She was um, the only surviving calf from a, a herd. And so she started hanging around our camp and we knew her for many years. In fact, it was so sad because she was all alone. And interesting biological fact is that she had her first calf at half the age that they usually reproduce because there were no older females around. So she came into estrus sooner and had her calf. So by the time she was the age that she would have had her first calf, she had um, a, a two calves and a grand calf. But wow. from that, from that, they started making their own herd. She was an orphan all on her own. She had started having her offspring at a younger age. Before you knew it, she had her own little herd. And so um, helpful. Yeah, so helpful. Yes. Right. That that was one of the ways that that nature has to um, to combat heavy die offs mm-hmm. like poaching is that the females start reproducing earlier and, and more frequently. It was it was fascinating, but it was wow. also, it, I loved all of that. But also it's very difficult to observe. I'm sure. I'm sure. And that sort of thing. But and so that was something that I had to deal with every day. But there were, there was so much joy also every day in observing animals. I just I loved it to wake up and have lions in our camp and elephants every day. It was I loved that. Oh, I wish I was with you. I really do. I mean, that's like heaven for me. I can't imagine. Um, Kristen, uh, you had a question. Yeah, um, and it actually kind of goes nicely with with what you just discussed. Um, Delia, I am such a big fan of your book. I mean, I certainly am obviously not alone in that. I've read it three times, and I, I very, very rarely read a book more than once even. So, um, I, and I think what kept drawing me to it was just, obviously the plot's wonderful, but the just the beautiful description and the way that the setting became a character in and of itself. I mean, the marsh just completely came alive for me. And so I was curious, you talked a little bit about writing the characters in the book, but can you talk a little bit about writing the setting and how you brought that alive and you made just the physical space feel so much like an essential character in the book in and of itself? Well, thank you for saying that. That was, that was my goal. I wanted the the marsh and the and the swampy areas to be a character. The nature is very much a character in this book because we we talk about mother nature all the time, but we seldom actually treat nature like a mother. We and we don't actually most people don't go through their lives on a day to day basis thinking that much about nature. But we came from nature. It was our first home, and. A lot of what Where the Crawdads is about is how much we can learn about human nature from nature itself. And so I wanted to have the natural background a big part of the book so that it it became obvious to people that here was here was Kaya learned from nature. She learned not only how to get food, how to fish, how to survive, but she learned about survival from nature. She learned we all have very deep instincts that are ancient and 
a lot of these instincts that we have aren't, they guide us to toward behavior patterns that aren't necessarily appropriate in today's world. But if you're having to survive, you need these instincts. And it's very interesting. Part of the book was a study on how close these instincts are to the surface and how they can be used when you need them. And um, it was it. So for all of that to work, nature had to be a big part of the book, had to be very close by, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You did an incredible job with it. It's oh, such you. a beautiful. You did. Oh, Mary Kay, you have a question. Yeah, Delia, looking at the incredible success of this book as a writer, one of the things I wondered was how you've been able to handle the disruption to your writing life and your personal life. And I think about Catherine Stockett after the amazing success of The Help and how her world was upended with the glare of publicity. And I wondered how you've been able to handle that. I mean, you told us a little bit earlier for people who are just joining us that um, you're living now in the mountains of North Carolina, but how have you, and has it affected your life? Has it affected your writing life and your personal life? Well, yes, it was very difficult to write. Um, I was basically promoting the book for a year and a half. And, um, and, so that it was very difficult to write. Also, I was traveling a lot. I think I was on 170 airplanes or something. I've forgotten. Um, wow. It was it was it was hard. Um, but honestly, I was I would never come even think of complaining because I was so thrilled. Right. I was yeah. so thrilled at, at the reception of this book. I was so appreciative. And also, I think because I had lived an isolated life, I met a lot of friends. <laughs> you know, I was overwhelmed with this reaction, and it just meant a lot to me. And so I came to terms with it. Although it was so hard and I got tired of traveling, I came to terms with the fact that, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to delay writing the next book a little bit longer. I mean, there were times I had my laptop out on an airplane and trying to write, but, you know, it's it's difficult. I, and yeah, um, so I, I just postponed it a bit, and and and, and I enjoyed the ride. <laughs> you should have. We would all love a ride like that, I think. Yeah. yeah. And the rides keep continuing keep going but it's it'll slow down and i think i might be the only person who's enjoying isolation right now <laughs> no actually we were saying delia that for some of us it's our life hasn't changed all that much I and mean, we're not going on book tour but isolation is definitely you know part of the writer's life certainly at least mine i think i speak for most of us though that we spend a lot of time alone and me with animals and I enjoy that. So it's, it's not that it's a, writing is a solitary sport. And mm -hmm. um right now we're in isolation. It's it's a good time to write from from some points of view. Mm. Patty, I see you there. Hi Patty. How about your question? I know you have one. I do. So Delia, I think um when I discovered, which I didn't discover till after I'd read your book and of course loved it everyone here did. And because I'm in the low country of South Carolina, a lot, you know, the marsh, the descriptions, I just was like, I'm going to stop even trying to describe this. You know, you just, you did such an amazing job. But when I discovered that you had written all this nonfiction, 
I was already a little envious and then I kind of doubled down on my envy <laughs> because most of us can do one or the other, right? Like we, most people write either nonfiction or nonfiction narrative or they write fiction and you somehow manage to do both. And I'm curious about that transition for you, the transition from nonfiction to fiction. Was it deliberate? Did you go into this with an idea of, I want to tell a story with a very particular theme or did you go into it with the, the image of, of your character in your hand? Or like, what was the impetus for the transition? Was it more thematic or was it that this young girl just came to you? I'm so curious about that transition. I, well, the nonfiction books from Africa, of course, had to be nonfiction because they were the story, they were the stories of our lives there. And to me, writing nonfiction is, first of all, we wrote our nonfiction books with a very strong beginning, middle, and end. We told them in story form, so they were more like fiction than some nonfiction books. They weren't just accounts of our observations. We made, we wrote them in story form, so I felt like I had a little bit of experience with the format of fiction. But I wanted to write fiction because I felt like I could reach more people. I had this burning desire to tell the story. That's I felt like this was a story that so many people needed to hear, to try to understand where we came from and why we feel the way we do. And I wanted to reach people. And writing nonfiction Natural history books is sort of the bottom of the feeding chain. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, Cry the Kalahari was a bestseller. And it, but in that category, it, it just doesn't sell very many books. And I don't mean that. I, I just wanted to reach people. I wanted Kaya to to find her way into a lot of people's hearts because I had something I wanted to say. And there are a lot of things you can say in fiction that you can't say in nonfiction. And actually, I love the transition. I've described it before, but to me, writing nonfiction, I've ridden horses a lot in my life. And writing nonfiction is like riding your horse inside of a corral because you have to stay within the facts. You can't just if there's a character you want to change or a timeline, you can't. You have to stay with the facts. And then writing fiction is like riding your horse through the gate and going wherever you want to go. The only limitation is your own imagination. And if you want a guy to be cuter, you make him cuter. If you want something else to happen, if you want to. (laughs) So it's it's, um, the freedom of writing fiction. I loved it. My imagination soared sometimes a little bit too high but i i I just i i just found it uh exhilarating to write fiction and did you feel like you had you know i started my life and and two of the other uh women here on friends and fiction also started their careers as journalists and i know when i started writing fiction i felt like i had been given permission to tell just the wildest lies (laughs) <laughs> and, and I, the first thing, the first book I wrote, I told in first person because, you know, in journalism, you're not allowed, you're not allowed to do that. And then I also put in a lot of bad words because I. Storing them up for all those years. 
write about sex and nonfiction in your own life. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, I just, I just was so curious and you answered it, whether it was this burning story that needed to get out or whether you just wanted to try. No, I had this burning story. That's amazing. I I wanted to tell this. Yeah. (laughs) But I think what's really interesting, Delia, is and why I wanted to read that excerpt from, that was from your nonfiction. To me, I've, and we've all read a lot of nonfiction for research and a lot of it is pretty cut and dry. But I think what I wanted to show is that your beautiful lyricism is there in your nonfiction as well. It does read like a story. I mean, I've read them all and they're all just really beautiful books. Thank you. You know, it's interesting to me to think about, it's almost, and correct me if I'm wrong, because this is just something I've been thinking about lately. It's almost like descriptive writing has become a dirty word in literature. I mean, um, we live in we live in such a fast-paced world. And as you all know, probably much better than I, that literature evolves with our current lifestyles and our culture. And, you know, when we live in the Kalahari, sometimes we'd only get our mail once every six months. What? Yes. Wow. I want to download something and it says it's going to take 60 seconds. I go, 60 seconds? Why is it going to take 60 seconds? we're We're also impatient now and we want everything right now. And so description... We all know you can't have too much description. It's like too much sugar in your tea. But it's also like that. Current literature, people don't want to read. They they want to get to the point really fast. So for the last 20, 30 years, I don't know, it's like there's less and less description. And I I think description is great as long as it moves the story forward. I think it's great if it sets the the reader in place and 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 helps them smell and see and, and feel like they're there. So I think you have to be very careful, but do you agree with me? I mean I just feel like that this sort of discrimination against description right now. Well I can't write a novel without it. That's their characters in my books and you know because of the nature factor. And I think I think it does depend on what kind of a book you're writing too. But I think certainly when the landscape is so critical to the story to move it forward Absolutely. You can't. But there's a difference between writing fiction um, description where you are just saying the the tree is green and the water's blue. It's you look at it, you know, you use it. And I think good writing is when the description is from the point of view of the characters and it imbues emotion. Yes, that's the whole point is of words, the right words, not how many words, but the right words. So that I call them zingers. A word that can that springs a picture into the reader's mind, but you know that that flutter in your heart. (laughs) Well, Christy, I'm going to go to you because um, I know you have a question about poetry, and I think that is the key of poetry is how the word sings. So, yes, speaking of the flutter in your heart, that was a really good segue. (laughs) Um, So, I absolutely love the poetry in Crawdads, and Mary Alice and I were discussing before you came on that. As we were reading the book, we both thought that this was a real poet. And, you know, we're going to go look for this poetry. And I was thinking, how have I never heard of this poet? I am so dense. This is um, so interesting. So so I have sort of a multi-part question, but I just, you 
did write the poetry in the book. Is that correct? I wrote the poetry, all the poetry of Amanda Hamilton, but I did um, uh, quote a few real poets. Sure. But Amanda Hamilton. Yes, but Amanda Hamilton was was your poetry. So it was was absolutely beautiful. You did such a great job with that. Um, And did you always know that that was going to be an important aspect of the story? Or was that something that sort of unveiled itself to you as you were writing? It, I, I came up with that idea very early. In fact, when I was still just planning the story, I thought it would be so fun. And I have to be very careful here about not giving spoilers. But, I mean, yeah. there's a reason that the poetry is in there. And um, part of the plot. And so I can't say too much. I mean, we try not to give spoilers here, right? Or are we not curious? Yes. Although, I don't know who hasn't read your book. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. Exactly. <laughs> No spoiler. So I thought it would be so fun to put the poetry in there and, and have it be part of the plot in a way, the way it turned out to be. I just and it did. It did enhance the novel. And honestly, I, I wanted to buy Amanda Hamilton's book <laughs> when it was over. You should <laughs> publish your poetry. Yeah, it was... Wonderful. It really was. <laughs> Thank you very much. I always went, I always wanted to go back um and have another chance to sort of edit the fine-tune the portrait a little bit better. And okay. I, I never got around to it. it no, it's perfect. perfect. It, it is. is perfect. So did we all ask questions? I just want to make sure. Yes. Yes. I thought so. All right. So we're going to just take a moment to highlight our bookstore. So it continues to be a tough time for all locally owned bookstores. And as people who love books, as we all do, we want to try to encourage people to support their local bookstores. So if you're interested in picking up one of our new releases tonight, so Delia's Where the Crawdads Sing and all the nonfiction books, Cry the Kalahari, Secret of the Savannah, and I the Elephant, My on Ocean Boulevard, Christie's Feels Like Falling, Mary Kay's Hello Summer, and Patty's Becoming Mrs. Lewis, and Kristen's upcoming very soon, The Book of Lost Names. Please take advantage of the great 10% discount right now offered by Malaprop's Books. The code is FRIENDS, and the link to the bookstore is on our Friends and Fiction page. So we've had a chance to ask some questions for Delia. Patty, would you like to ask Delia the reader questions? So we stole these off our feed, and if we asked all the questions that people put on that feed, we'd be here tomorrow morning still. (laughs) People are so excited about talking to you. And so these had to be chosen randomly because there were so many great questions. But the first one is from Mary Lynn Seddon Aquino. I bet I said all of those wrong. She said, my question is this, this novel has to be made into a movie, I hope. Who do you see in the role of Kaya? Well, first of all, it is going to be made into a movie. Um, hey. <laughs> um, is, is the producer, okay. and uh, it's being uh, the studio is Sony, and the screenplay has been written. They're choosing directors now, and um, <laughs> you know, I just this is embarrassing, but I appreciate the question. I. I don't, I never get to go to a movie. For, yeah. And I don't know any young actresses. I, 
I, I need to learn some and so I can say it when people ask this question. I really don't know who could be who would be appropriate. So I'm sure they'll choose someone great, but um in with some of the some of the book signings, people have asked me who I thought should play Tate, you know, the really cute yes. guy. And um I said, I'm sorry, it's been so long since I've been in the movie. I have no idea. And the last person I know who would be appropriate would be Robert Redford. <laughs> I, well, think, I think he still holds up. <laughs> he might have aged out for Tate. Yeah. 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 So I just don't know the young actors, but thank you for the question. So how about you girls? Do, who, like, do you, yeah. you, who do you guys think? Yeah, who do you see as Kaya? Oh, I'm so bad at casting. I'm so bad too. I'm so bad too, but I do want to say really quickly because I do think we're going to have time for a couple of questions live from the feed. So I am sitting here watching y'all's comments come in. So if you have questions, answer them. I mean, ask them now so that I can pull them up for you. Um, I'm bad at Hollywood. I'm bad. Gilly, do you know who or when the the movie is expected to come out? Do you have any target dates? No, but they, they want to move her along very quickly. They're already talking about places to film and that sort of thing uh, anywhere along the coast, whether it might mm. not be in North Carolina, it be, might be South Carolina or Georgia. A lot of the marsh is the same throughout same. that area. And um, I know they want to get started right away, but of course, also with the, the virus, it, that could complicate filming yeah. as well. All right. So the next question is from Ashley Curran. Crawdads was such a huge hit. Yep. (laughs) When will your next book come out? My next book, well, (laughs) I am writing my next book. I have, I was told Mary Alice the day I was thrilled. She, she's helped me so much with um, uh, the importance of the first draft. And I have finished the first draft. And (laughs) so envious step because I feel like I don't have a canvas until I have the first draft and it took me so long because of all that traveling and I'm thankful that I did work some during that time or otherwise I would have finished my tour and been starting at scratch instead I had you know quite a bit done but I have the first draft now and I'm going to uh, so I hate to say when it's going to come out I just don't know but it will be a while but I'm working on it every day and I'm going to do it as soon as I can, but I don't like to rush. I'm going to take my time. It, it's going to be modeled after crawdads in the sense of it's going to be another treatise on how our behavior came from nature. And the theme of this book is going to be exploring the evolution of male dominance in mammals. Oh. Where I first in mind for that. In most mammals, the males are dominant. And we can go back in evolutionary time and know when and why that happened, which I think is fascinating. So that's fascinating. I can hardly wait. There are not many, but very, very few. But one of the few mammals in which the females are dominant are spotted hyenas. (laughs) <laughs> my friend said to me, no wonder they're always laughing. <laughs> 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 they're 
Oh, please bring that in. You've got to somehow <laughs> weave that hilarious. in. You've got to breathe. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> oh, Christy, can you pull out two questions from the line? Yes, I can. Okay, so the first one... Um, Leecha Haney wants to know, do you have conversations with your book characters? I wonder if she means, do you mean like currently, you mean as I'm writing or as I'm walking around the house? I mean, uh, I feel, I feel very, I feel very much like I know them. Mm. I know them very well. They're very personal to me. I, I can't say that I've had actual conversations with them. I'd like you know, I'd love to have a conversation with Tate. <laughs> yeah. I no, no I, I don't feel like I have, I feel, but I feel like I know them very well. Gotcha. Definitely. We're almost too close. We don't need to talk. We. <laughs> you just have that mind meld. Exactly. <laughs> There's that joke that people think writers are schizophrenic because we're always talking to these people in our head. But go yes. ahead, Kristen. Yes. Somebody once asked me at a book event if I thought I had like, a problem. And I was like, well, if I do, I need it to not stop because I will not have a career anymore. Um, <laughs> Wendy Page wants to know, and I don't know if you can answer this, but she wants to know why did Kaya live her life and not have children? Okay. That's a good question. The main reason from a plot perspective is that the point of her life was to show how isolation affects us. If she had had a child, that changes that. And so uh, I, ha- I, th- I thought it was important for the plot for her mm-hmm. to be, the story to be complete, that she did live that life of isolation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That oh, sense. that's very good. I never thought of that, but that makes sense now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, I'm sure you all understand very well that you can't have too many things happening at the end. And, and right. there are a lot of things that happened at the end of this book. Yes. Bang, 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 bang. You know, baby, no, that would have just been one. Yeah. <laughs> just like one more thing. <laughs> um, Anissa Joy Armstrong wants to know, if you could be any of the characters from Crawled Ads, who would you be and why? Well, that's a great question. Yeah. Oh, well, I feel like I am Kaya in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's a lot of me in Kaya, but I think there's a lot of Kaya in all of us. So I think it would have to, the answer to that would, would be Kaya. And I know that she had a hard life, but I don't know anybody who's had an easy life. And um, I just think that she shows us we could do so much more than we think we can she was so strong and powerful against so many different odds. And I, I just, I love that. So yes, I'll be Kaya. Okay. We'll all be Kaya. We'll have a Kaya. 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 Yeah. Well, she was so strong. And she was like Gip. She created her own herd, so to speak. She did. And she survived. So that's very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone else have any questions? Do we have any more questions before we move on to the writing tip? Christy, are there any more that you want to? Pull? I mean, we could we can do as many as you want to. Let's so you do, do you want to ask one more? Okay, perfect. Um, Melanie Stickler Falconer wants to know what do you like to read when you're not writing? You know, I read a lot more nonfiction than fiction, to be really honest. Mm-hmm. And so I love books like Peter Matheson, The Snow Leopard, um, Beryl Markham, West with the Night. Aldo Leopold. I love to read nature books, Annie Dillard. I love a good novel. 
but I just actually read a lot of science related journals and so forth. So that's mainly what I read. To answer your question, that's what I like to read. And that actually ties in with your research for the book that you're writing, too. So it all goes hand in hand. All right. I think we've had enough of the questions. Thank you all to everyone out there who had questions. Uh, Delia, if you'd like to join us on Friends in Fiction page, there are a gazillion questions that you can just freely answer anytime. And I'm sure everyone would love it. Um, Now, every week we have a writing tip. Now, I have to say you've already given us any number of writing tips. But let me ask you, for all the um, viewers out there who are interested in learning how to write or just wanting to hear, what is your writing tip? This is sort of an odd one, but my writing tip is that I always stay very conscious of the reader. Sometimes I almost, and not literally very often, but imagine the reader sitting next to me. And I go, every paragraph I write, almost every sentence, I'm always saying, okay, am I boring the reader? I do not want to bore the reader. Mm-hmm. I do not want to confuse the reader. I do not want to insult the reader by over explaining something. Mm-hmm. And so I really think about the reader a lot and it terrifies me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I sometimes I'll go on three paragraphs or something. I'll think, Oh no, 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 no. Nobody, nobody's going to really want to read this. I'm insult. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm boring my reader. And so I don't know why, but that works for me to, to really feel strongly and feel the reader close by. Are you conscious of that during your first draft as well? Yeah. Oh, yes. Wow. So that's great. And that's um, getting a lot of trouble in the first draft with the reader, a lot of trouble. (laughs) It's so interesting because there are some things people don't think about this, but there are some things the reader doesn't want to read and the writer doesn't want to write like background stuff. Yeah. Okay. Here's this family in the marsh and how did they get there? Well, how did they actually get in the market? Well, the reader needs to know that, but they don't want to know. They don't want three pages of background on how they got there. They just want to know how it happened. So certain things you have to be, you have to answer and you have to write it, but you realize nobody really wants to read it. And that's, (laughs) and so you just, I don't like that part, but so I'm always keeping the reader very much in my mind when it, when it comes to writing that part of it. Does that, does that count as a tip? It sure does, and it's different than what we've heard before. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. That's a really good tip. <laughs> We're all thinking. Yes. No, I was gonna say. No, I was gonna say. I feel like those are the parts in the book that I tend to like skip over and like make myself a note, like explain how blah blah blah, because I don't want to yeah. talk about it. Nobody wants to read it. It's like the stuff that you're just like. It's a necessary part of the story, but it's not inspiring in that right. moment. Yeah. <laughs> and that's hard with the description in particular, I think, yeah. to know when's too much and when's enough. Mm-hmm. It really is. You know, almost, sometimes you have to have someone else tell you, and there's always somebody to tell you. <laughs> oh, yeah. They will let you know. <laughs> Thank you. That was a great tip. All right. Uh, Mary Kay, I'm curious. We always like to know what we're all reading. We heard from you, Delia. So Mary Kay, what have you been reading lady, lately that you'd like I, to tell us? I um, have been reading this great book. It's called The Sweeney Sisters 
by Leanne Dolan. And uh, it's a book about the stories about three sisters. Their father is a very famous novelist and he passes away unexpectedly and they discover right at the funeral and there are three sisters, but at the funeral or I'm, I'm close to getting to the funeral, they discover there's a fourth Sweeney sister. So um, I think, I mean, I have had sisters, a lot of us have sisters. And so, so far it moves. I love it. And uh, it's uh, Leanne Dolan, D-O-L-A-N-L-I-A-N, the Sweeney sisters. And I'm really enjoying it. And I think a couple other people had some books they wanted to mention. Kristen, you had a book. Yeah. Um, so this is called Lake Life. It's by David James Poissant. I know my light shining on it, but it comes out next week and it's just a really lyrical, beautiful novel about a family in crisis over the course of a single weekend at their North Carolina lake house. So it's actually a debut novel. The author is an acclaimed short story writer and he had a wonderful collection of short stories uh, a few years ago, but this is his first novel, um, Lake Life, David James Poissant out next week. And it's fantastic. Thank you. We, and we'll be sure to post the titles of those books on the Friends in Fiction page, as well as I'll put the titles of all the nonfiction of Delia up on the, on our Friends in Fiction page. So you can all follow up on this if you go to our page. And I hope you, all of you out there do join our Friends in Fiction page. We have a show every week, Wednesday night at seven o'clock, and we hope you'll join us. All right. We have an, speaking of which, we have an amazing roster of authors coming to Friends in Fiction. Kristen, you're the host next week. Can you let us know about your guest? I'm actually hosting the next guest episode, which is not till July 15th. Next week, I think, is a Just Us episode. Just Us. Which, oh, um, yeah, fun. which I think, uh, Mary, Kay, Mary Kay, are you hosting that one? I can't remember. I need to look back at the schedule. Well, you, you know, all, all of you out there, if, if you're new to us, if you're new to Friends and Fiction, definitely come back next week. It's a great chance to know the five of us who founded Friends and Fiction back in April. You know, we've been going strong. We've been doing this every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. Um, and then on July 15th, the week after next, Next, we have Jasmine Guillory, whose Party of Two just came out last week and debuted at number eight on the New York Times list today. Which oh, is Jasmine. Okay, oh, Jasmine! Really? Oh, oh congratulations, Jasmine. That's so great. And then the week yeah. after that, July 22nd, we have Ken and Drew from the platinum-selling band Sister Hazel, who have more than three million albums sold and who are going to talk to us about storytelling and songwriting. And they might even sing for us, which would be great. <laughs> which, oh, which, I hope so. I mean, we, can that's we, a new, that's a first. Can, can we put in song requests? But <laughs> 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 wait, Kristen is not mentioning something because the important thing about that episode is yeah. that the book is going to be out on that day. It's going to uh, be birthday time. Which I oh, handily yeah. have right here, the book of lost names. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's nice to be in a So Thanks. next week with the with the Just Us, it's always a lot of fun because it that's is. when we get to just talk amongst ourselves, as they say. But I have to say, Delia, this wasn't so hard, was it, to talk to join this crazy group of strong females? This is wonderful. This is great. I really feel like I'm in the middle of a, I don't know, maybe a behind the clan. <laughs> we do not want to be hyenas. We could be anything else. How about oh, a, I think to be a crowd of lions? Yeah. We like the crickets better. <laughs> 
Okay, I love hyenas. But anyway, so um, lions, elephants, it was a great, you were a great herd. It was wonderful. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, pretty much we have. I really appreciate you having me. It was so great to get to know you a bit better, and it was a lot of fun. One of the things I wanted to tell our viewers, this was Delia's first Zoom appearance. Yes, this is my first time on Zoom. I was so scared. <laughs> and you did wonderful. Says the woman, I was so scared, says the woman who lived alone in Africa. Okay. Come on, and, you know, I don't know. But we did it. You're did. amazing. You're amazing. Amazing. We want one one final thing before everybody goes. We want to remind you to, if you haven't already, follow all of us on Instagram, where you can get a glimpse into our lives, what we're doing, what we're writing, what we're growing, um, <laughs> what, you're, what you're redecorating, what we're... Yeah. Yes, all all of those things. And what we're reading, we talk about that too. So the links to all of our Instagram pages are up on the Friends in Fiction site. So if you haven't already, please start following us. Yeah, you have Instagram. Yes, I do. You have Instagram. Oh, good. We'll follow you. Yes, please. Are you looking at bears in the North Carolina mountains? The bears are looking at me, and I'm looking at the bears. There's a lot of bears here. I had one who stayed the winter in a tree den, seriously, 20 yards from my, my deck all winter. Wow. <laughs> oh, one of the things that's so great about your deck, though, is you can see from so far over the, into the, on the mountains. And there was a red-tailed hawk that literally just dove down right beside my head and went down. Do you remember that was yeah, right, yeah. you're way up. You're like in a tree house, which is super cool. That's awesome. So the mountains are a safe place to be during all this. Right. Well, I, that's our program for tonight, everybody. Delia, you are a joy. I mean, I've been holding back because there's so many things I want to talk to you about. You just have <laughs> such a wealth of knowledge and information. And the way you look at the world is so fascinating, which I think is why your books are so beautiful. So I hope everyone tonight will order Where the Crawdads Sing and go to Malaprof's Books, which is in Asheville, a wonderful bookstore. And they're offering you a 10% discount on all Delia's books, as well as the books of all of us. And remember, we want to support our independent bookstores. They're having a tough time, just like a lot of small businesses, and we want to support them. And visit us on our Friends in Fiction page. It's a group page on Facebook and our Instagram pages. And thanks to all of you for joining us. This is Friends in Fiction, and we will see you right here next Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Much love to all. Good night. Thank you, Delia. Delia, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Okay. How wonderful was that? She was amazing. (laughs) She was so great. Yeah. Just the way she sees the world. It all brings all that experience in. It's just. Yeah. Wow. It's fascinating. You can see why she wrote about Kaya. You hear about how she lived. It just makes so much sense. Because when you're reading for the first time, you're like, a girl alone in the marsh. Why yeah. would you think about that? But once you hear about how she lived, right, 
her, yeah, her once to get her mail. We're talking isolation. That's yeah, that's that's serious isolation. I, mm, I would was, not do well with that. When she was talking about matriarchal um, societies, I was thinking about, I used to love the Tony Hillerman novels, which are about the Navajos, and they have a matriarchal society. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything about the Navajos is traced down through the matriarchal lineage, and I, and I thought, Wow, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> there aren't many uh, Western societies that roll that way. Um, no, not at all. And, you know, when I thought about, um, I remember with Kaya, when I first started reading it, I actually had to suspend my belief, like you, Patty, where I thought, come on, an eight-year-old, really? Nine-year-old? And then I read her history, and I thought, okay, I can believe this. But when I was reading this Secrets of the Savannah, and I heard about that little gift, my inclination was to, oh, feed that baby. Take care of that little baby elephant. But in nature, you have to let it roll out the way nature would demand. And she did. That had to have been so hard. Not That's just what I do with my 22-year-old. Listen, <laughs> I'm not going to feed you anymore just because you're in the house. Roll out. Yeah. <laughs> you feed no. me. It's your turn. No, I, I actually read it and I remember people being like, I mean, how could I, I think she was six, like when she, when this like first started and maybe her mother left. And I remember thinking, I think a little well was six at the time. And I was like, I can actually see him kind of surviving in the wild. I think he's doing pretty well. <laughs> My grandson can't even take off his swimsuit by himself. And he's four. He's <laughs> very like. He builds things and he just knows things. And I don't know. It's just, he, and I was like, he's probably do all right. <laughs> but like, let's, let's not find out. But yeah. Let's not find out, please. Yes. I'm so glad you brought up, Christy, about the poetry. Oh, yeah. yes. Thank you for that. That was <sighs> such a great question. And I did love it. And that was so funny that we both thought that was a real poet because I really did. And I was like, wow, this is so great. I need to buy a book of this woman's poetry. <laughs> I know. And I always think that poetry is one of the highest forms of writing because, you know, each word is so important. Yeah. And when I read that, I just thought, wow, who is this beautiful writer? And of course, I mean, she's sure. just, and, and when you read the nonfiction, it's just you know, that's why I wanted uh, that's, you to do that. That's so. a real triple threat. I mean, can you guys write poetry? Are you poets? I know you can, Patty. Mm-hmm. I know you're mm-hmm. laughing. I know you can write poetry. I firmly disagree. Because of, actually, because of where the crawdancing, I put my, I write some poetry, not a lot, not, not a lot, but I've always been really shy about it. And because we know Marjorie Wentworth, who's a brilliant poet, and yeah. I put a poem in the front of, on Ocean Boulevard, and it's the first time I ever did that. I'm, I was shaking in my boots. I'll be honest with you. It's scary. It is something totally different. It's different. I, I read poetry every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Patty's a great um, poetry. I don't know. I, I think, unfortunately, a lot of us, maybe not Patty, but a lot of us, I think, over the years, lose our thirst for poetry. You know, the day-to-day details of everyday life, I think kind of wring that out of us but I know for myself when I do go back to poetry I remember in high school I loved poetry mm-hmm. loved it I, find William Carlos Williams, so, I, loved it. I have found poetry to be a saving grace for me during the during this pandemic I start every morning and I've been living with my sisters and my husband up at the mountain house and we start every morning by reading each of us reads a poem and it just elevates the day 
it just brings it to another level. And I think maybe any, anything we can find that elevates our spirits during I this know. kind of support. I just write fake song lyrics, if you'll all recall, from Mary That'll work. And if you were here last week, you know that I dream about them because I'm writing songs with James Taylor in my dreams. So... I mean, I don't know that I can actually write them, but in my dreams, I write killer songs in my <laughs> own head. Christy, that's the uh, Chapel Hill connection, I think, with with James Taylor. Mm-hmm. It must be. You know, he, he, his father was, what, head of the med school at, at yeah. uh, Chapel yeah. Hill? Wow. Yeah, that's a great book. If, you guys, if, if anybody out there hasn't listened to it, he has a new Audible original out. I can't remember what it's called, but I listened to oh, it like, the day it came that. out. I, I did was, too. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. That was one of the first concerts I ever went to. Uh, I don't want to say how long ago it was, but I will say that James Taylor was touring on Sweet Baby James. Wow. And the warm-up act was a woman no one had ever heard of called Carol King. Yeah. Carol King, yeah. <laughs> Whatever happened to her? Nobody. Yeah. Claiming that she had written Respect. <laughs> and tapestry had not yet been released so that's my rock concert you yeah. know glory. that was actually one of the first concerts that i ever went to also was james taylor career, 40 years right later <laughs> well but i'm just saying like that is a career i mean you know to be able to sustain that kind of success i mean it's like where the crawdads sing <laughs> yeah right <laughs> i mean can you imagine having written your very first book and have that kind of response. I mean, it's almost, I would think, be daunting to write your second. You know, I think, isn't well, you know Margaret Mitchell, Patty. You you studied her. You don't know her, but you studied her. She never chose. <laughs> you're not that old. <laughs> she never wrote another novel. Did she ever just describe why? And Harper Lee never wrote another book. Well, Harper Lee had started another one. And Did she? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There is a book about it uh, that came out last year. And now I can't think what it was. Yeah. yeah she had uh, she had started working on another novel inspired by a true crime story. And, and the book that came out last year, Patty, do you know? It came out last year and it was... Um, it Ghost had a Watchman? Research she did. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Well, the no, Watchman is different. No, that was no, this was a, there's a, a, a nonfiction book about the true crime story she wanted to write, oh, right? Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, but I think, and Margaret Mitchell said that the reason she couldn't write was because she was too busy keeping up with her correspondence. Right. The letters were, you know, and then of course she was hit by a cab and, and killed before she could write another book. It's the terriblest ending ever. But um, yeah, she just said that that, that that book took over her life um, between her and her husband, they all they did was answer correspondence and deal with foreign rights and, and all of that. She could never write a, again. Wow. In that period of time, though, Gone with the Wind was sort of like where the crawdancing, it just hit the world by storm. Yeah. So that makes sense. Well, on that note, ladies, I know we all have dinner waiting. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so hungry. Uh, love to see you. Yeah. I think that what what'll be a great just this question is what everybody's first concert was. So we're going to save that. 
All right. Oh my God, I'm embarrassed. Do I have to? I'm so embarrassed. I'm going to tell you that. Whoever's in charge next week has to ask. Oh, okay. Kathy, are you the host next week? I think it's Kathy. Okay, yeah. I think I am. All right, ladies. Good night, everybody. Good night. 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 That was great. Thanks, everyone. See you in the morning. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Friends and Fiction Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Friends and Fiction Podcast wherever you listen. And if you're enjoying it, leave a review. You can find the Friends and Fiction authors at www.friendsandfiction.com as well as on the Facebook group page, Friends and Fiction. Come back soon, okay? There are still lots of books, writing tips, interviews, publishing news, and bookstores to chat about. Goodbye. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.